Hello, thanks for being here. I hope this finds you in good health and secure. And thank you for your support and your practice, right? Like and subscribe. It's a Bodhisattva Act. Helps us uh, get this information out. Get more people feeling confident about their practice. That's what this is all about, right? All right. So why the Bodhisattvas from under the earth? Why not all the Bodhisattvas that are there who've already pledged their allegiance, secured, asked the Shakyamuni to, don't worry, after you're gone, we'll make sure a thousand years from now in that latter age of the possible loss of this teaching, we will keep it alive, we will propagate it. And uh, Shakyamuni says, no, no. It's okay, thank you, but uh, no, I've got, I've already got some people lined out for that. What? <clears throat> so once again, we're confronted with that uh, time thing in Buddhism, where past and future are a matter of the way we consider it moment to moment. So there is no, yes, things that happened in the past happened, but even thinking about what they are now to us as though the past still exists is seen through the lens of now. And the fact of the matter is they are not what they were in the past. They've moved on because everything is momentum. Everything is movement. So the past is just a matter of mental construct. And if you understand that even a little bit, then the idea that these bodhisattvas from beneath the earth are not, are, are not only the example I keep sharing with you as the future bodhisattvas, but they're also the past bodhisattvas in that they've already been taught by Shakyamuni or Buddha. Not Shakyamuni himself, but the thing that he's realized, Buddha-ness, which has been primordial, right? It is part and parcel of the engine of life, the thing, the process, which itself is responsible for the physical universe. So with that in mind, with knowing, and they don't know yet, they're about to find out, but you and I know, <clears throat> Shakyamuni is not the first Buddha. There is no first Buddha. He was the first human to realize Buddha, but Buddha is life itself. It's the engine of life. It's the cosmos. It's every phenomena, right? The only difference, if you want to call it that, the only issue at hand is whether or not you search your sentient mind to experience it or you just follow the stream and tumble through life waiting for stuff to happen to you. You can do that. Many do. Many have. But the contention here in Buddhism is if you just flow with the flow, you're going to run into rocks and stuff. You're going to have a hard time. You don't need to have a hard time. You can see clearly what is happening moment to moment. All the same stuff will exist. All the same stuff will happen. But your experience of it 
big difference, paradigm shift. And the fact that you can see it is a huge paradigm shift that changes everything you consider in your mind. But hey, you don't have to. You can just bounce along through the rapids of life, <laughs> right? Most people do. But gosh, it's rough to do that. To do that is how our sentient mind, because it wants something to do, constructs illusions of possession and therefore anxieties and stress about possessions and ownership and identification, which aren't real things. They're constructed in what a Buddhist might call an idle mind. We don't want to negate the mind. We don't want to quiet the mind. Early Buddhists may have thought that. Hmm? What we want is full engagement of the mind, but not with all the stuff. Full engagement of the mind of the process, the hum of the universe at work, in process, moving. And so if you think that way for a moment, consider that these future bodhisattvas, these you and I, as we come about in this latter age of defilement, we already know. Because it's built in. We just have the capacity to know that we know. Something unique to this latter age. And so the practice, the method of practice for us is what Shakyamuni is now talking about. And it's alluding Manjushri and the others, for good reason. They don't understand yet, but they will. My little dog is here with me today. She's occupying herself. She may make some little noises, so don't be alarmed. So we ended the last video with him saying, don't allow yourself to harbor doubts or fears, because I know this doesn't really make sense to you yet. Hang in there. For the Buddha speaks no falsehood, I wouldn't lie to you, and his knowledge is incalculable, this you have confidence in so far, right? The prime dharma that I have gained is profound, not a subject to discrimination. This isn't just something else. This is the ultimate goal of all of this teaching. As such, I will now preach it. All of you listen single-mindedly. Don't be distracted. This is the core. This is it. So he begins. At that time, the world-honored one, having proclaimed these gathas, declared to the Bodhisattva Maitreya, Now in this great multitude, I will make a declaration to you all. O Ajita, these incalculable, numberless asamkayas of great bodhisattva mahasattvas who have welled up out of the earth and whom you have never before seen, I taught and converted in this Saha world sphere once I had attained Anuttara Samyak's humbled eye. I guided and showed the way to these bodhisattvas, not him Shakyamuni, him Buddha, still confusing, yeah? Hang in there. 
I tamed their minds, causing them to launch thoughts of the path. Not the path as in bricks on the yellow brick road. The path as in the traveling of the path. The momentum. You see, it's all in here. You just have to unlearn some words or the meaning of some words to understand them differently, right? When an arrow flies through the air, you don't trace its journey moment to moment as though that were the arrow. You see its trajectory and you say, that arrow took this path, but that path is not extant. It's just an arc of experience that this arrow followed, right? That's the path we're talking about. The experience with momentum, moment to moment. Hmm? Stop it, Jewel. These bodhisattvas all dwell beneath this Sahas world sphere in the midst of the open space, time, of this sphere. Where this scripture is concerned, they read and recite it, gaining fluence, fluency and advantage. They think about it with discrimination and are rightly mindful of it. In other words, they exist in Buddhaness. O Ajita, these good men have no desire to be in a multitude. They're to have much talk, but they ever desire a quiet place for the, they strive to practice vigorous perseverance, never allowing themselves to rest. Momentum. They are the process of instantiation from potential. They are the expression of Buddha, as we all are, and yet unconscious of it. That's why we have to awaken that consciousness. Nor do they take up residence among men and gods, for they ever desire profound knowledge without obstacles, the goal of Buddhism, to live this life fully without pounding into the rocks of the rapids, right? Seeing them ahead of time, flowing with the water without obstacle, flowing with time or flowing with space, however you want to visualize it. They also constantly desire the Dharma of the Buddhas. They, in other words, they stay alert to that reality rather than being sucked into samsara vigorously and single-mindedly preserving in their quest of unexcelled knowledge, experience. Hmm? At that time, the world honor one wishing to restate this meaning proclaimed Gathas, saying, Ajita, know that these great bodhisattvas for numberless kalpas have been practicing and perfecting Buddha knowledge. All were converted by me and me being Buddha, and enabled to open up their thought to the great path, the Buddha way. How many ways can we say this with words which are by nature obstructed by samsaric meaning? If I 
can speak correctly. These are my sons, right? The sons of Buddha, the creations of the engine of life, the creations of Buddha, which everything is. Not some deity, not some special entity. The engine of life, the process of the cosmos. This is why I say all the time, we don't look for life elsewhere off the earth. Everything in the cosmos is life. Just different forms in the realms of form. Abiding in this world sphere, ever performing dutta duty or deeds, they aspire to quiet places, rejecting the hustle bustle of great multitudes and having no desire for much talk. It is such sons as these who study and practice the Dharma of my path, the Buddha path, the awakened path. Hmm? Day and night ever preserving, or persevering, sorry, I keep doing that. In order to seek the Buddha path on the Saha world spheres, underside, in open space, they dwell. They await for manifestation. Right now they're potential, but they're there in the potential, not identified. Hard and firm of resolve and mindfulness, ever do they strive in their quest for wisdom, preaching a variety of fine dharmas, their hearts knowing no fear. In Gaia City, I, seated under the Bodhi tree, was able to achieve supremely right, enlightened intuition and to turn the wheel of unexcelled dharma. Only then did I teach and convert them, enabling them for the first time to open their thought to the path. What an interesting time shift that was. So he, as Shakyamuni, he's now saying, I, in Gaia City, sat under the Bodhi tree, that's what you all witnessed, and I, Shakyamuni, communicated with these future potential Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, in open space, not yet manifested. Do you see the time thing? Don't get confused. It's very clear once you get that point. Now all dwelling in the unreceding, shall without fail achieve Buddhahood. I now preach the true word. Do you all single-mindedly believe it, accept it, embrace it? For since time long past, I have been teaching and converting these multitudes, I being Buddha in this case. Hmm? At that time, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva Maitreya and the innumerable other Bodhisattvas, <laughs> innumerable indeed, at heart, doubtful and confused, suspicious of what they had never, uh, had never been before, thought, now you can imagine what they thought, right? In such a short space of time, how can the world-honored one have taught and converted such incalculable, limitless asamkayas of great bodhisattva, causing them to dwell in Anuttara Samyak Sambodai? We've watched you grow up there, uh, Shakyamuni. Hey, Sid. How the hell did you go back to the beginningless time and teach these future bodhisattvas 
What? <laughs> They're still confused. They're still married to Samsara. Right? They've never heard this teaching before. Straight away, well, they heard it in essence, but they didn't accept it. Right? This is the problem with all the provisional teachings is he wasn't teaching anything different. He was just trying to work with the capacity of the people, and the people were just so attached, stuck, I was going to say, in this idea of life after life, reincarnation, afterlife, whatever you want to call it. It's just an old, old stigma. And they had to let it go. And with the Lotus Sutra, it was shakabuku time. It was, I need to break you of this illogical thinking because that's not what I've been teaching but still here in the Lotus Sutra in the middle of the Lotus Sutra they're being confronted big time with it yeah so you can see why Nitrin just ate this up this was the beginning in the Lotus Sutra for Nitrin of and for Tendai, Zi, Zhanran right the rest of them, Miaolo, Dengyo everybody could see this was the hammer down, right? Straight away they addressed the Buddha saying, Oh, world honored one, the thus come one, when he was a prince, left the Shakya palace. Yeah, the thus come one? No, Shakyamuni, Siddhartha. But they can't separate the two in their minds. So this is the way they're asking the question. The thus come one, when he was a prince. Buddha wasn't a prince. Shakyamuni was a prince left the Sakya Palace, Shakya Palace, and in a place not far from Gaya City, sat on the platform of the path and contrived to achieve Anuttara Samyak Sambodai. Yeah, that was Shakyamuni trying to attain Buddhaness. From that time to this is only a bit more than 40 years. Not for Buddha, for Shakyamuni, but again... O oh, world-honored one, how in that little time could you accomplish so much of the business of a Buddha? With the might of a Buddha and the merits of a Buddha, teach and convert so many incalculable multitudes of great bodhisattvas, destining them to achieve Anuttara Samyak Sambodai. How could you do it in so little time? It seems an odd question when you think back to the early chapters when he emitted a ray of light out of his, the little white tuft between his eyebrows and enlightened the whole masses for a glimpse. If he could do that, how could you question him? But okay, this is the form. This is the, the shift of perceptive. This is the teaching. This is the shift, paradigm shift of the way to think within the Buddha way, the Buddha mindset. So, yeah, it's important, just like when you learn complex mathematics or anything else, it has to be quite dissected and laid out to make sense. You can't just accept it outright. Hmm? So that's the form here. O world-honored one, Maitreya and the Bodhisattvas continue, 
The great bodhisattva multitudes are such that were a man to count them for a thousand myriads of millions of kalpas, he could not finish doing so, nor reach their limit, since remote time in the presence of incalculable limitless Buddhas. They have been planting wholesome roots, achieving the bodhisattva path, ever practicing Brahman conduct. O world-honored one, such a thing as this the world finds hard to believe. Okay. I get it, right? It is as if there were a man, his natural color fair and his hair black, 25 years of age, who pointed to men 100 years of age and said, these are my sons. The 100-year-old men likewise point to the younger or the youngest uh, youngster and they say, this is our father. He begot and reared us. That's what this feels like to us. It doesn't make sense. This thing would be hard to believe, yeah? So also is the Buddha. It is, in fact, no long, uh, no long time since his attainment of the path. Now the bodhisattvas in this great multitude for incalculable thousands of mirrors and millions of kalpas for the sake of the Buddha path have already striven to practice with vigorous perseverance have skillfully entered or left or remained in incalculable hundreds of thousands of myriads of millions of samadhis, have attained great supernatural penetration, have long perfected Brahman conduct, well and ably by degrees have practiced sundry wholesome dharmas and have acquired skills in questioning and answering. In short, they are veritable gems of mankind, such that all the worlds regard them as very rare. You realize he's talking about you and I, don't you? Yeah, consider that. These day, uh, This day, the world-honored one tells us that it was only upon his own attainment of the Buddha path that he caused them to open up their thought. No, they missed the point, did they? That's not what he said. It may have sounded like that. But he said a lot more about the fact that Buddha-ness has always been in existence and the teacher of future bodhisattvas. That's what he was saying. But then he said, now me, I attained this knowledge, this Buddha-ness, sitting under the Bodhi tree and immediately communicated with these bodhisattvas. And what Maitreya was heard was, oh, uh, what, in a fortnight after you attained enlightenment, you went back through time and taught all these... What? He didn't get it. That time problem again. Right? And the understanding that Buddha is not a man. Not Shakyamuni. Everybody's still stuck on that because the, the, the fetish of body for the human being is all-knowing, all all-pervasive, all-inculcated into every thought. It's identification, my friends. The reason people still are married to an afterlife or reincarnation or going to another planet after death is this extreme fetish in a, incapable of letting go of the idea of an embodied self. And Buddhism is, if nothing else, a break of that illusion. Yourself is a momentary, moment-to-moment -moment 
Nothing. It's an awareness. Yourself is a sentience. Yourself is a moment-to-moment ability to experience with these consciousnesses, the skandhas, the mind, the alaya, the, the, the epistemology, and finally, the ultimate use of our sentient mind, buddhaness, the mind that knows it's a momentum of energy that is very ephemeral, very, the word itself, very temporary, very impermanent, having no true nature other than the experience of natures. That is the thing to experience. But he's having a really hard time with these dedicated students. They're not lazy, but they're not, they're stuck, yeah? That he taught and converted them, showed them and guided them, that he caused them to turn to um, turn Anuttara Samyak Sambodai, the worlds, and blah, blah, blah. I said all that already, sorry. Although we, for our part, believe that the Buddha's preaching in keeping with what is appropriate, the words uttered by the Buddha have never been false, and that what the Buddha knows is all thoroughly penetrating, so we're not accusing you of lying. Yet the bodhisattvas who have but newly launched their thought, if after the Buddha's extinction they hear these words, they may not accept it and take resolve in it. Right? It's not us, uh, but I don't think I can convince anyone else of this. In other words, you're not convinced, right? But may, on the contrary, produce the causes and conditions of a sinful act or an error of attacking the Dharma, ridiculing it, right? Well, that's what's been happening all along. Anyway, why this is the step too far? Because of the attachment to body. That's why we read constantly over and over again in the sutras, I will follow this teaching even at the sacrifice of my body. Well, that's what this is about. Not the actual sacrifice of your body, not burning yourself in the city streets. That's ignorant. That's stupid. No, your attachment. Let that go. If you let go of your attachment to the body, then it makes no sense to burn it. Because to burn it is to negate the body. And if there's no body to negate, because you're not attached to it, then that makes no sense. Yes, it's subtle, but it's critical. We beg you to explain, both in order to remove our own doubts, thank you for admitting that, Maitreya, and in order that good men of ages yet to come, when they hear these things, may also experience no doubt. At that time, the Bodhisattva Maitreya, wishing to restate the meaning of what he just said, proclaimed gathas. He put it in formal form. At one time, he says, looking at the time, sorry. At one time, the Buddha, issuing from the Shakya seed, interesting use of seed again, the springing forth of individuals from a lineage of what we use in samsara, identification, 
Oh, I'm a Shakya. I'm a Chamberlain. Are you a Hughes? A, uh, whatever your last name is. Does that define who you are? Always has, yeah. Left his household and near Gaia, he sat by a Bodai tree since when it is still no longer time. These sons of the Buddhas, their number incalculable, long ago having trodden the Buddha path, dwell in the power of supernatural penetration. They have well learned the Bodhisattva path and they are untainted by worldly dharmas. These magnificent Bodhisattvas that sprang from under the earth, yeah? Like the lotus blossom in the water. Didn't I use that example earlier? That's why it's in here. Renge. Out of earth welling up, they all produce the thought of humble veneration, remaining in the presence of the world-honored one, in the presence of Buddha. Not Shakyamuni Buddha, Buddha. Universal Buddha, Cosmos Buddha, the engine of life Buddha even though that's not yet clear. This thing is hard to reckon or to discuss, because here you are, right? How may it be believed? Be, uh, the Buddha's attainment of the path is very recent. But it wasn't the Buddha that attained the path. You see the problem with the language? The Buddha didn't attain Buddhaness. <laughs> Shakyamuni, a man, attained Buddhaness. Still missing it. It's in the language. We can all see it. The Buddha's attainment of the path is very recent, yet his achievements are very many. We beg you, in order to dispel a multitude of doubts, to explain with discrimination... <laughs> the language of samsara, <laughs> in accord with reality. Well, you don't know reality yet, Manjushri. You're about to find out. It is as if there is a young man in the prime of life, his years only just 25, who points to men of hundreds of years, their hair white, their faces wrinkled, saying, these are my begotten sons. The sons also say, oh, this 25-year-old's our father. The father is young and the son's old. Is this a thing the whole world will refuse to believe? So also is the world-honored one. They'll refuse to believe you. For his attainment of the path is still very recent. While these bodhisattvas, of firm resolve and fearing nothing, for incalculable kalpas, have been treading the bodhisattva path, skilled in objection, in question, and to answer, their hearts fearless, enduring humiliation with minds made up, standing erect with imposing majesty, praised by the Buddha, uh, Buddhas of the Ten Quarters, well able to preach with discriminations, having no desire to be in a human multitude, ever loving to be in dhyana concentration, living in myoho Kyo, which they don't understand yet, in order to seek the Buddha path, dwelling in the open space below. But they're not seeking the Buddha path, they're in it. Okay, Manjustra, hold on. Have no doubts regarding this matter, but we beg the Buddha for the future's sake to expound, causing clear understanding. If we regard to this, scrup uh, 
if with regard to this scripture, anyone engenders doubt and disbelief, straight away he shall fall into an evil course. Lower realms, yeah? We beg you now, on this account, to explain, with regard to these incalculable bodhisattvas, how in little time you taught and converted them, enabling them to open up their thought and to dwell on the ground from which there is no backsliding. And that's the end of the fifth roll. So now we enter the 16th chapter. The lifespan of the thus come one, the Tathagata, Buddha. We will endeavor to begin that in the next video. But you can see why Tendai or Ji, Shanran, Zanran, and uh, and others, all the way to our mentor and teacher Nichiren, views uh, the last half of that chapter, and now, as you are about to find out in the next video. The lifespan of the that's come one, that this mythology of the body gets blown to bits. This is, and Nietzsche's absolutely correct, of course, in identifying this. This is the busting of the lock, the breaking of the last illusion, so that finally this teaching of enlightenment in this life gets through and breaks the bonds of samsaric consciousness. Samsara still, it depends on how you look at samsara. Some say samsara is the physical world. More rightly, samsara is the thinking about the physical world. And that thinking is in this last illusion, this attachment to Identity and form as the body itself of self. The illusion that it is a container of our identity. It is not. The container of our identity, if you're looking for it, it's the sentience. The ninth consciousness. Actually, all the... But those eight consciousnesses ahead of the ninth consciousness, those eight are the ones responsible for manufacturing the idea of this as a vessel of self, an identity, and all of it as a physical, real thing. Remember he said reality. What reality, Maitreya? The one that moment to moment comes, arises, and disappears? But the moon's still there. No, the moon's not still there. The moon is moving just as you are, just as every atom and particle in the cosmos is. The moon is not. In the time it takes you to say still there, it's not. It's moved on. Yes, it's still an instantiation, just as you and I are. It's a constant instantiation of potential with variances, constantly varying. If you don't believe the moon is variating, think about the planet we're on. Plate tectonics, right? Look at history. What's an earthquake? Yeah, things are constantly changing. Nothing is static. You have to start thinking about time this way. 
All right. That's enough for today. Thank you for listening. Do yourself a kindness and the rest of us a kindness. Take care of your health. We need you. The world needs you. Oh, my goodness. Right? How do we keep all these sentient minds from self-destructing? Certainly, there's enough evidence for that. There's a lot of evidence for beauty and celebration. But with our vast complexes of, look at that, look at that, look at that. We're far more fascinated with negative stuff than we are positive. And that's very lamentable. I don't say that's true for everyone, but there's a lot of negative energy in the world, right? And it's up to you and I to affect it, to radiate out an option, saner minds. I know you are. I know I'm working on it. I'm Omiolodengeku. Thank you for your practice once again. Take care of your health. Savor your practice and keep it strong. And I will see you in the next one. I'm Omiolodengeku. Bye for now. Thank you.